This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Kevin Bisson, CFO of Ipswich, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 476. The beauty of training pros is that it is all virtual. There is no home office. And my boss, who I consider quite a visionary, uh, many years ago recognized there were loads of professional women who wanted to also be there for their children and have a flexible work schedule. So Training Pros was built on the concept that you can work and still have flexibility in your personal life. And that level of flexibility allows us to attract a great deal of of talent that might ordinarily go untapped. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to CFO Jill Vogan of Training Pros, an innovative entrepreneurial firm inside the professional services sector that is taking a virtual approach to its workforce. You do not have to work in the office. It's not the first firm to do this, but Training Pros is certainly bringing innovation in talent management to the professional services realm. But that's not all, Thought Leader listeners. Just for you, we put not one, but two CEOs on the spot by asking them questions about CFO hires and CFOs transitioning to the CEO office. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking to Jill Vogan, CFO of Training Pros, a training and development company that is structured unlike most of its competitors, I'd imagine. In fact, unlike most uh, professional services firms. We'll begin there. Jill, welcome. Oh, thanks. I'm happy to be here. 
Jill, we're looking forward to uh, exploring sort of the unique approach this this company has as it deploys talent uh, into many large enterprise accounts. But first, as always, we ask our guests to look backwards for us and tell us a little bit about themselves, their professional backgrounds. So tell us, uh, what was your path to the CFO office? Well, I started my career um, in public accounting, big public accounting. I worked for the former Coopers and Librand. Uh, back then, it was a really grueling program to start off in a big eight accounting, but it teaches you so much that back in those days, they referred to it as a, like a virtual master's degree. That's how much, how hard you work and how much you learned. Uh, often, people did not stay in public accounting. What we did is we went out into private industry with what we learned, which is the path that I took. Now, I know there were a number of different chapters of the early part of your career, and uh, you did start uh, a family, of course, back at that point in time as well, and you returned to public accounting. Um, but uh, tell us how you found your way to training pros. <laughs> well, uh, I was working in public accounting in a small accounting firm here, and I had just had a baby. And what I found is that I wanted to continue to work, but accounting work is the public accounting work I was doing was tax at the time and it was seasonal. I couldn't afford to work and only put my baby in daycare half the year. So I needed a filler job and I saw an advertisement on uh, actually a mom, mom's job board um, saying work from home, you know, accounting 10 hours a week. And I thought, wow, that would be perfect. That would help me pay for daycare. And I, found this growing company. And within a year, I uh, had, had created its first real accounting department. Wow. <laughs> I, I think this is the first time a mom's job board has been uh, sort of punctuated the path to, uh, to, to a CFO office for us. But, but I mean, it's, it's happenstance. It's, um, uh, you found a role that suited your priorities at that place in time. But at the same time, it's this growing company, this entrepreneurial company that you come into and you get to sort of architect the finance function, the accounting house. Uh, so, you know, a stroke of luck uh, for certain. So fast forward uh, months or years and you're, you're probably operating out of the office environment. Oh, there, no, we, uh, the, the beauty of training pros is that it is all virtual. There is no home office. And my boss, who I consider quite a visionary, uh, many years ago recognized there were loads of professional women who wanted to also be there for their children and have a flexible work schedule. So Training Pros was built on the concept that you can work and still have flexibility in your personal life. So I'm set up at home, my home office, as is everybody else, unless they're on site at a client. And they have the freedom and flexibility to say, no, you know, my kids are home for the summer. I don't want to take any projects or, you know, school started, load me up. And that level of flexibility allows us to attract a great deal of, of talent that might ordinarily go untapped. So what you're saying is the, the company was founded with this notion that employees do not have to uh, come to an office to operate. Yeah, well, it, it was extremely smart because, for example, we have um, 
a really great recruiter, head recruiter, and she left Atlanta. She didn't have to leave her job. She, you know, it was invisible to us. I have, we have a really great um, operations manager. She left Atlanta and moved to Illinois. She didn't have to leave her job. So it's, it's a great way to retain your talent because they have the flexibility to live where they want, manage their families the way they want, and still contribute in a major way to the success of our organization. So it's a win-win. Now, most organizations operate somewhat virtually today, but um, as an organization that is is almost entirely virtual, is there um, is there another piece of this, uh, whether it's technology or how the company's organized, that uh, we would be surprised to learn about? No, no, we it's all done with teleconferencing, and honestly, when you think about it. It's easier now than it was because so many applications are on the cloud. So we, with a combination of using uh, teleconferencing and uh, real-time cloud-based apl- uh, applications, it's really surprisingly easy. Um, and like I said, it, it, the ability to be mobile like that is incredible because it's you know, it, it makes it easy for people to work no matter they have a sick kid at home or they have to go down and take care of an ailing parent for a couple of months or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. They can they can take their laptop with them and continue to work if they choose to do so. We had talked uh, a little beforehand about how shortly after you came, you experienced uh, this, this growth chapter that really... Uh, sort of stress test it how things were done in the accounting realm and you had you had created that that department when did it occur to you that whether the company was virtual or not things things had to be done differently inside the finance function well we had known for quite a while um the problem was that because we are virtual we were relying on a remote server to share documents, to um, uh, to share QuickBooks. We didn't even use QuickBooks online. We were using like a desktop version of QuickBooks. And so we, uh, any anytime we did reporting, it had to be printed out and emailed out to everybody. It, it was just incredibly inefficient in the age of cloud-based applications. So it, it wasn't something I had to convince. We knew. Um, the issue was finding the right product because we're not small and we're not large. And there's not a lot in that middle zone. Um, and then coupled with that, we utilize uh, Bullhorn for our front office. And uh, because we're staffing, everything is in Bullhorn. And it's, uh, it is a um, staffing database. Salesforce is, is another one more commonly known, um, but Bullhorn is, is their competitor. And what happens is for, for the recruiters and for our salespeople, everything gets put in there. So you go to work for training pros or you apply for a job in training pros, that's what it goes in. Everything goes into this. So it's like a candidate database, basically. And once we hire people, that information needs to feed into 
whatever the system is that we have. Well, at the time, we had a patchwork of systems that was always, you know, the, the, the server would go down or, you know, something wasn't working properly. It was a, a maintenance nightmare. So we really, what the problem was, was not, was within finding the right thing. And so when I found Intact, um, I, the sale was to say to him, look, this is how much money we are wasting trying to dance around with a product that doesn't give us very much. And, you know, Intact is not, you know, as inexpensive as a, you know, a $500 or $2,000 now subscription to QuickBooks, but it is um, much more dynamic and will give you and our salespeople real-time access to data. And so it, it was it was pretty much a no-brainer for us. I don't know if other people experience that, but my boss is so open-minded about things like that that it's really very, very easy to um, to get the authority to continually improve what we're doing. So what is the type of information that you're now sort of, you know, your sales team is demanding or I think you have relationship managers. What are the, What is the type of information you're you're pushing out to them or what they wanted to have visible in front of them? Well, what they want to see is whatever they need to do to service their their customers. Our another thing that's unusual about our organizational structure is that we're very flat. We believe that we serve our clients best if they have one point of contact. They don't need to dial one for accounting and two for customer service and three and they get bounced around. Nobody likes that. I don't like that. So what we do is our salespeople are all people who have already been in the industry, are very comfortable uh, assessing what their clients' needs are and responding to them quickly. And those of us in the back office, our role is to respond quickly so that they can get back to their customer and solve their problem. So everything on the dashboard, um, accounts receivable, open invoices, um, sales numbers, for them personally bonus numbers. Um, they're given marketing budget to um, spend to develop their book of business. They can keep track of that on there. So, you know, those are the things that they really need to be able to see so that when they pick up the phone to call their client, they can say, oh, hey, you know, I see that, uh, you know, sales have dropped off this month. Is everything okay over there? Is there anything more I can do for you? Or, hey, you know, you paid the June invoice, but not the May invoice. You know, is there an issue that I need to resolve for you? So it enables them to be really hands-on um, with their client and not have a situation that other companies do where out of the blue, the client will get a, you know, hey, you never paid this invoice, nasty kind of thing. Um, we don't do that. Now, I know training pros, uh, this is a what some people would call a staffing company. Um, the company widely uses contractors, and it's sort of the, the special relationship you've formed with those contractors, which is in part, I think, uh, what's kind of innovative here. But as far as the metrics that you pay attention to, I would be, uh, I, I would wonder about maybe uh, utilization rates or, uh, so if I was to ask, what are, what are the top of mind metrics for you? What, what would we be talking about? Honestly, in our business, it's cash flow. And so that I spend a lot of time looking at our cash flow because of the 
the health of our business depends on keeping ahead of the game because we know that we pay our people way sooner than most of our clients pay us. And the only way we're able to do that, which is a service both to the contractor and to the customer, is to make sure that that we are carefully monitoring that situation and that there isn't, you know, one big invoice out there that, you know, might be an issue that we need to resolve. And we don't have that because we pay so much attention to that and make sure that that um, that there's there's no snafus hidden uh, behind the scenes to prevent us from being able to to handle that gap. We always like to ask for a finance strategic moment where uh, somewhere along the way you experienced some strategic insight that uh, uh, was a valuable lesson. What would you uh, share with us? Yes, Um, although it was fairly early in my career. One of the things that I learned is that communication, good communication, is key. And these days, I see that a lot of people will rely on email and be afraid to pick up the phone. And it sounds like a silly little thing, but I realized early on it could make a huge difference in productivity. And the story I like to tell is when I was a young, um, just a couple years out of school, and I was an internal audit in a large Fortune 500 company, and their um, corporate staff was fairly small. So we knew each other. I knew the presidents and the vice presidents of this large company just because of the location. And uh, a year or two later, I ended up transferring to a subsidiary. And I was a staff person, and I got assigned to a department that spent a tremendous amount of time producing a a 30-page statistical report for one of those vice presidents back at corporate. And I questioned it. And I said, you know, are you sure he really wants all of this? Because this was really before personal computers. It was a lot of man hours in producing all these statistics. And I was given a, this is how we've always done it, don't question. But I couldn't help myself. And because I knew him personally, I called him and I said, you know, I have a couple of questions about this report that we do for you. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, there's this like 30 page report and they name it after you and it has all the statistics. And he laughed and he said, oh, that thing? Because I just asked some questions many years ago and they keep sending me this package every year and I just pitch it in the trash. (laughs) And so my aha moment is that you can't be afraid to ask questions. The lost productivity for creating a report that the executive threw in the garbage because everyone was afraid to question the executive. So that for me is something that has stayed with me forever, not just in the way I relate to the people above me, but also to the people that work for me. And I tell them, you, I want you to tell me. I, I want you to question me. I want to put out the best product, not you just say, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, and follow my rules. Because, you know, you just never know. And if you treat people with respect and with professionalism, then asking questions should never be a problem. So that was my uh, aha moment. 
Jill, we're going to jump to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to uh, offer advice to future finance leaders and inspire them. What's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, I would say what is really exciting me is the technology. Um, You know, when I started out, we were using yellow-green paper with little grids on it and stuff. And, you know, that made the profession really pretty boring because you spent most of your time putting numbers on little ledger sheets. But now technology keeps allowing us to do newer, more exciting, more complex things. And um, the fact that you don't really need an IT person to do all that, you can do it yourself. You can, you know, I've, I've a lot of my time in the last couple of years has been really um, taking our our financial software and customizing it to make it more useful to Steve, to our salespeople, to my coworkers, to our consultants. That's the thing I'm working on now is some, some uh, trying to customize some products to make uh, expense reimbursement easier. And that's a lot of fun because, you know, it's it's challenging, but it also creates a great deal of satisfaction for the people that I'm serving. What is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you before uh, you became a CFO? Well, um, somebody actually did tell me (laughs) what I, when I came into um, my profession, I learned to be very detail-oriented and meticulous, kind of baked into the cake. And what the hardest thing was for me to do was to learn how to delegate and to be good at it. So when I first took over the role, now I was the, you know, the part-time bookkeeper, basically. And so it took me a while and some kind words from my coworkers to say, you know, let it go. It's okay. Let them, you know be a better delegator. And so I've worked really hard to try to be a better delegator. And it's an ongoing process. It's very hard when you are a numbers person to be comfortable letting it go in that way and um, and trusting your people um, within reason, because I still am a CPA, but, uh, you know, (laughs) trusting them enough to at least um, not be burning the midnight oil because I'm trying to do everything myself. Do you have a personal habit or a routine that you think has contributed uh, to your professional success? Yeah, I I can work any hour of the day or night. That is both a blessing and a curse. (laughs) So one of the things I would say to anybody doing what we're doing is you have to set up some kind of limit. I don't work from my kitchen table. I have an office in my home. This office is not for anybody else in my family to use. It's dedicated. When I walk into this space, I'm in an office. If I am working at night, my family knows this is my office and they respect that. So so setting those limits for my family and for myself is really critical because otherwise it's very easy to get distracted by, oh, let me just put in a laundry or walk the dog and then you realize you haven't gotten any work done. Similarly, when it's the evening, you have to be able to shut it down. You have to be able to turn off the, you know, not looking at the email, the work emails and and not going to your computer and realizing that things can generally wait until tomorrow. That's the hardest part, at least for me, is when I first started doing this, 
If I got a panicky email at midnight, I would jump up and turn my computer on and try to fix it. It takes a lot of discipline to not do that. Okay, then our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Okay, my priorities are definitely growth and scalability because we are constantly growing and adding new initiatives that don't always fit into the uh, model that we already have established. New technologies, I am always looking for things to make everybody's job easier. Um, and then supporting new initiatives, which is sort of an out, uh, uh, with our growth, we are having new initiatives all the time and I need to make sure that my team is ready to handle whatever comes down the pike um, from the sales side. Jill Vogan, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Hi, it's Jack. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, we caught up with a number of CEOs recently and had the opportunity to ask them a question about their recent CFO hires. That's right. These were middle market firms that have hired a finance leader for the first time. They reach a certain weight class as a company and the finances get much too complex to do what they've been doing up to this point. And they reach the milestone of making a chief financial officer hire. It's not a small one. We ask, why was it time when we come back after this message? The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Well, it was only a number of episodes ago, episode 472 to be exact, that we interviewed Patrick Harkleroad, CFO of Chanticleer Holdings. You might recall Chanticleer is today the owner and franchisor of 63 restaurants spanning the Little Big Burger chain, American Burger Company chain, Grilled Right and Just Fresh Chains. It also uh, has several Hooter franchise locations and is part owner of the Hooter's parent company. Well, uh, Chanticleer Holdings CEO was recently on our interview list as well. And we posed a question to the CEO, which was, why was it time to make a CFO hire? Here's what Mike Pruitt, CEO of Chanticleer Holdings, shared with us. I think it was around, we looked at it as a two-pronged approach. We sat down, I, you know, I have a very, very high-profile board, of, one of which has got, you know, 
franchise partner as well. And when we sat down last summer and had an st- overall strategic review meeting, you know, what we, what we identified then is we do a really good job at once the customer comes in our door in terms of serving our customers, we really do well at it. And Rich Adams, who came from Bojangles, who was leading the effort for our burger business, he comes from an operational background. And so what well, we looked and said, okay, you know, we were doing really well at blocking and tackling from the accounting side. And, you know, we're public, so, you know, we've never been late on a public filing. You know, we, you know, we were good at this, the blocking and tackling part. But, you know, we thought, okay, let's go find the right guy to run the business in this entrepreneurial state that we're in to take us to the next level with the existing portfolio and then be that guy that also, as we look to add to the portfolio. And then the second piece of that is when we looked at our accounting team, we felt like he needed, you know, we needed a running mate of somebody who, you know, I, my wife's a CPA, so I can say this, but, you know, you have your controller or your chief accounting officer, you know, their job is to basically look in the rearview mirror and make sure everything that happened, you report it correctly. And a CFO is to look in the front windshield, see what's out ahead of it, and plan to be able to take advantage of the future. And that, again, would be potentially acquisitions, potentially, you know, raising capital, refinancing. And, and our new CFO, Patrick, you know, Harkelrod Road, we, 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 you know, he probably felt like I got beat up, but, you know, our audit partner interviewed him for two hours first. You know, Fred, the new president, interviewed him. I interviewed him. Our head of our audit committee interviewed him. And we all came to the same conclusion that, you know, he was the right guy because he had experience. He came from an investment banking background. You know, he went to UVA where he played football. Once he got his MBA at Vanderbilt, spent nine years in the investment banking world at Wells Fargo, and then moved over to the other side, ran a private company, but had raised over a, a six-year period $40 million in private capital in the restaurant and entertainment and nightclub area. And, you know, I talked to four or five people that knew him in the industry, and everybody had nothing but good things to say about him, and, you know, being a hard charger and growth. And, and I think, you know, we wanted to send the message to our investors. He, I, we let him interview with our two big investors, both Fred and him. They bought into him as well, and we said, "Hey, we're going to send a message that, you know, we're going to be a, you know, a sustainable, relevant player in this category, and we put the right people in place to send that message that, you know, we're here to stay." Our next CEO is Paul Mallon. CEO of Amalgamated Life. Now, Paul entered the CEO office only recently, and he entered from the CFO office. In many ways, Paul's career was that of a traditional CFO. And when we find someone like Paul who makes the transition into the CEO role, we'd like to share with you his story. Here are two questions where Paul uh, discusses his background with us. 
Paul, take us back and share with us how you uh, entered the CEO office uh, for the first time here at Amalgamated. Um, I have a varied background, a lot of different experience, but, uh, you know, I'll just start with my educational background, uh, studying accounting at Emory University, um, working for Deloitte in uh, auditing, and then going on to uh, NYU to get a graduate degree in finance and international business. Um, from there, you know, went to work for Citibank for a number of years. Uh, some of the later roles were in uh, working on debt financings in the uh, global media and telecommunications group and in the uh, leverage finance group uh, as well. And then uh, did some uh, M&A work uh, at Deloitte and FTI Consulting and was recruited out of there to uh, come to Amalgamated as the uh, CFO. And, and that was really something that I wanted to do for a long time is be CFO of a company. Uh, I felt my background uh, was appropriate for that, you know, in terms of all the accounting and finance that I had, uh, but also the analytics and um, the ability to, or, or the opportunity, I should say, to work with and learn about many different types of companies and businesses along the way. So you have been with Amalgamated for 13 years, uh, but this latest chapter where you step in to lead the firm, tell us about that. Sure. So um, I was fortunate enough to work for Dave Walsh, who you uh, mentioned earlier, who, who came on board in 2008. I was, I was recruited here in 2005, and uh, Dave identified me as his successor uh, at some point and worked towards making sure I had the right operational experience and appropriate exposure to the board. So along the way, you know, while I clearly had the finance piece, and, and as a CFO, and I think all CFOs will tell you, they work with every single part of the business, um, but I also had direct responsibility uh, for the insurance company operations here, the underwriting group, uh, our IT group, as well as uh, facilities, and, and Dave also brought me along in terms of uh, working uh, with the uh, board members. So when uh, Dave decided to retire, I was ready and the board was uh, comfortable in electing me uh, CEO. And, and I would say, too, part of that journey, as well as uh, part of the journey also has been, you know, I learned along the way in so many different roles and, and working, having to work with so many different types of people and businesses, um, you know, how to really, you know, lead people by watching others and, and through that developing my own leadership style, which I think has helped me here. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.